This podcast is not intended to offer recommendations for administering GlaxoSmithKline products in a manner inconsistent with approved labeling. In order for GlaxoSmithKline to monitor the safety of our products, we encourage healthcare professionals to report adverse events or suspected overdoses to the company at 888-825-5249. Welcome to podcast two of our PrimeMed podcast series on uncontrolled asthma. This podcast is entitled Uncontrolled Asthma, Putting Guidelines into Practice. My name is Anne-Marie Ditto. I'm a U.S. medical expert with GlaxoSmithKline in the Medical Affairs Respiratory Division. I'm a board-certified allergist immunologist and a fellow in the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, as well as a fellow in the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. And hello, I'm Dr. Barbara Yon. I'm a family physician. Uh, I have lots of experience uh, as being a rural family doc. I've also been a clinical researcher for the past 30 years. I am currently the Chief Science Officer, COPD Foundation, and a fellow of the American Academy of Family Physicians. The purpose of today's podcast is to discuss guidance-based care of asthma patients who remain uncontrolled despite ICS lava. Commonly used strategies in asthma management include those put forth by the Global Initiative for Asthma, or GINA, and also the Expert Panel Report 3, or EPR3, which was developed by the National Institutes of Health. Both GINA and EPR3 reports emphasize the importance of asthma control and risk reduction. To put this into perspective, let's discuss a hypothetical asthma patient who is on medium-dose ICS lava, but who continues to present with symptoms. What are your options for this patient, Barbara? Well, the first thing is that we need to realize there are things to help guide our therapy. Uh, you don't just kind of say, well, let's see, uh, that's this, and I think my next favorite medicine is this. We do have information, both from Gina and from the older uh, EPR3, that would talk about how we do this. And there are a lot of guidelines uh, and a lot of strategies, and we need to think about how can we put them in a uh, quick and easy way to address. For example, the patient that you discussed uh, is patient that fits step four. Uh, that's a patient on medium dose ICS lava and still is having symptoms. Uh, they can be con considered for other controller options or to move to step five. But of course, before you do that, you want to make sure you've thought through some of the other things. For example, are there triggers that they're not avoiding, like somebody smoking in the house? Uh, are they able to adhere? Are they able to purchase the medicine? And are they able to use it with good inhaler technique? Now, if you've been through those things and you've addressed them as best you can, uh, then we can think about what are our choices for stepping up our pharmacotherapy. 
we can go to high-dose ICF. Uh, we could add uh, an anticholinergic or a long-acting uh, anti-muscaritic or muscaritic antagonist called ALAMA. Uh, we could consider a leukotriene receptor antagonist. Uh, those are the asthma pills. Uh, or we could add a biologic. Now, we have to think about which one of those makes sense. We have to tailor it because these medications play different roles in asthma control. It's important that we consider what's causing the lack of troll, uh, control and try to address that as specifically as possible with a tailored pharmacotherapy. We're not just adding on to be adding on another medication. Uh, so we need to think these things through because, as I said, we have four different choices here, which is right for this patient. Okay, well, let's take a look at a more specific patient as an example, and we can kind of walk through what you just talked about and apply this to this particular patient. So this is a 35-year-old mother of two who's a teacher. She was diagnosed with asthma as a child and had frequent exacerbations requiring OCS or oral corticosteroid use and two uh, exacerbations requiring hospitalization. She was started on an ICS after which exacerbations requiring OCS therapy were rare and she had no further hospitalizations. However, at age 31, after her second pregnancy, her asthma symptoms recurred, and she was again started on an ICS, which was escalated to a medium-dose ICS lava two years ago for increasing symptoms. Although she's had no exacerbations in the past three years, she states her asthma has been worsening over the past six months. So now she's had daily symptoms of shortness of breath, wheezing, and cough. She uses her albuterol rescue inhaler at least once a day. She wakes up from sleep from her asthma about once a week, and she's gained weight because she's decreased her activity and exercise. So to better assess her asthma, we use the following tools, the ACT, spirometry, and phenol, or exhaled nitric oxide. Her ACT was 13. Um, her FDC was normal, but her FDC ratio was low at 64, consistent with airflow limitation. She had a positive bronchodilator response with a 15% improvement in her FEV1. Her pheno was normal at 25, so not consistent with continuing inflammation on her present medical regimen. So what are your thoughts on treatment options in this patient, Barbara? Well, looking at uh, both her reported symptom burden, and then it was confirmed on the act that this is uh, less than 20 is uncontrolled and less than 15 is poorly controlled. So she has poorly controlled asthma according to her act. Her FEV1% predicted at 73, even though it increased by 15%, uh, that's still getting down on the lower end of what I would like. Uh, and her FEV1, FEC ratio is consistent, as you said, with airflow obstruction. And her pheno was okay. 
uh, in the normal range. But this is not the only way to say, oh, well, she doesn't need any more medication because her phenotype's fine. That's only metric. So the fact that she has abnormal spirometry, she has a very low act, uh, and she reports that things are getting worse for her, and she's even doing less activity. I think that her asthma is clearly uncontrolled, and we need to discuss treatment options. Of course, I'm going to make sure that I assess potential triggers we talked about before. Anybody smoking? Has she taken up smoking and just didn't tell you? Um, are there allergies that we need to assess? And we can do that in several ways. Does she have rhinosinusitis? Does she have nasal polyps? These are things we can check by history and by looking in her nose. Uh, and does she have GERD, for example? She says she's put on weight. I don't know how much weight, uh, but maybe she has reflux now, too, because of the extra weight. And all of these things need to be addressed. While we're probably going to need to increase her medication, we need to address all of those at the same time. Those are excellent points, Barbara. The comorbidities that you mentioned, such as sinusitis, GERD, and even allergies, can definitely contribute to asthma, making it difficult to control. So I would recommend considering these in all patients requiring controller therapy and in patients requiring higher doses of medication, such as those in steps three through five in the GINA report, I would recommend working with a specialist at least in the evaluation of these comorbidities because of their influence on asthma. Certainly upper airway inflammation, such as allergic rhinitis, can contribute to lower airway inflammation, and indoor allergens and mold are most closely associated with more difficult to control asthma. So we tested her for allergies, and she's allergic to grass and trees, but no indoor allergens. And with these seasons starting, we will treat the upper airway to ensure this does not contribute to her asthma moving forward, but it doesn't explain the worsening symptoms in the past six months. She has no symptoms suggestive of sinusitis or GERD, and we discussed um, uh, symptoms that aren't as obvious, so less obvious symptoms like lingering nasal congestion after a cold, which might be subacute sinusitis, for example. And we even discussed cough with eating and frequent throat clearing, hoarseness, all of which could be signs of GERD without heartburn, for example. And she had none of these. So now that these comorbidities are ruled out, what treatment options would you consider? Well, we also know in addition to those that she is using her inhalers and she has good inhaler technique. Uh, so we have really kind of covered the waterfront of what would we do before we change her pharmacotherapy. So I think now it is time to change uh, the pharmacotherapy to escalate it. Uh, increasing the ICS certainly could benefit in the reduction of exacerbations. Uh, we know that it is an anti-inflammatory. She doesn't have a high pheno, but that's not the only metric for inflammation. 
We know that the leukotriene modifiers are beneficial with both upper and lower airways and may help with mucus production as well uh, and certainly are indicated in people that have uh, allergies and signs of allergies and maybe these would be helpful because of her particularly spring allergies with the trees and grass. Uh, however, you know, it's the leukotriene modifiers are really not an anti-inflammatory primarily, nor are they bronchodilator. And there is not a lot of evidence that they're effective as an add-on to ICF lava. So you want to think about them and make sure that they really are indicated. I personally uh, would like when I'm at this point and adding on, I'd like to talk to uh, my allergist colleague about this patient and see what he or she thinks. Uh, so llamas, uh, the anti-muscarinics can complement the bronchodilatation in a uh, patient that's already taking ICF lava. Yes, they are taking two bronchodilators, but they work by very different mechanisms, uh, and so they are actually synergistic and work very well together. So I like to consider using both of those. Uh, they may also have an anti-inflammatory effect. Uh, and in this woman uh, who doesn't have a, a big marker for inflammation, I may be thinking about more bronchodilatation. Uh, so, you know, I would, you know, you go through all the different things. I don't think she's ready for a biologic yet. Uh, because we haven't gotten through all of the medications I think we need to go through before that. Uh, but the biologics certainly are important to know about, and my allergy colleagues really helped me with making those decisions. So back to our patient, I would not see that she's had exacerbations and her pheno is not elevated which makes me really not excited about moving to the high-dose ICS. Uh, she does have the abnormal spirometry with reversibility, so I'm thinking that I may be most likely to add another bronchodilator, uh, and that would be the LAMA. I certainly might think about the leukotriene modifier, especially for the seasonal issues, but Right now, I think I'm mainly going to go with what is now called triple therapy, which is ICS, LABA, and LAMA, and I'm going to see her back. Uh, it's really important to see her back in three to four weeks and see what's going on. That sounds great, Barbara, and I absolutely agree with you. The follow-up is extremely important, and I always explain this to my patients because the follow-up is important whether they feel better or not. So we get information either way. So their response to medication is important, as it tells me if I have chosen the right medication for this individual patient at this time. And if not, do I need to adjust medication? Do I need to change medication? And so it's really a partnership, right, working with a patient to best treat his or her asthma. And that's really critical. We know with chronic diseases, that there's a high risk of non-adherence, and we've discussed that in a previous podcast. So regular follow-up is important, 
And we take these opportunities during the regular follow-up to go over inhaler technique, to assess asthma control, assess risk, to personalize the medication based on the disease assessment, based on patient preferences or patient concerns, and all this helps ensure the best care for our patients. Also, we want to minimize and simplify the regimen because as you mentioned before, a simpler medication regimen is always preferred. The adherence tends to be better the simpler the medication regimen is. So again, thank you. And Anne, in this, and let, let me try to get the telehealth in here real quickly. And Anne, okay. I think if we think about now in the current environment, this follow-up visit could probably be done by telehealth, uh, especially if you have video with your telehealth. We've already done her spirometry, so we're not going to do that again on this first follow-up. Uh, she can do the act either through her portal or she can do it with the MA while they're getting ready uh, for me to get on with her. Uh, we can watch her take her inhaler technique on the telehealth visit and make suggestions. But all of this could be done by telehealth. And I think that's going to make it easier for us to do these regular follow-up visits. The patients will not have to come into the office for all of them. They can do them in their home or at their office at work if they wanted to, making it a lot easier to do follow-up visits. Absolutely. If they go to a place for telehealth, like you were mentioning the MA, if spirometry is available, we could do it. We eventually are going to want to see your spirometry again, only because it was abnormal, but we want to see if that has normalized at some point. But I agree with you, a lot of these follow-up visits, um, especially monitoring symptoms, so a lot of these visits, depending on the telehealth uh, site, and what's available there and what's needed to be done in the follow-up can be done that way. I absolutely agree with you, and especially in this current environment. Well, thank you very much for your insights, Barbara. To summarize what we discussed today, guidance-based care of uncontrolled asthma despite ICS lava, like asthma care in general, requires an individualized approach. Healthcare is turning to more personalized medicine, and asthma is no exception. Instead of just adding more and more medication, we can choose medication according to the patient's needs. We have medications that act on different pathways, and we can personalize medications based on each patient's need, knowing these different pathways. Thanks to all of our listeners for joining us in the second of our three pod series on, excuse me, thanks to all of our listeners for joining us in the second of our three podcast series on asthma. You can hear us again during our next podcast as we discuss practical considerations for managing uncontrolled asthma in a primary care setting.